Hi everyone, uh, Dave here. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Legends of the Spire. This is the podcast where I speak to the former players and managers of Chesterfield FC about their careers in the sport. And this week I am one step closer to getting to 100 interviews of the former players as I had a chat with Steve Fletcher. Now, Fletch was very, very well loved at Chesterfield. He was just with us for one season in the late noughties under Lee Richardson, had an absolute killer partnership with Jack Lester, uh, laying on loads and loads of goals for him. Uh, a bit reminiscent, I thought, of the partnership with Paul McCallum and Andrew Dallas at the moment. So I had a chat with him about his specific role that he had on the pitch uh, throughout his career and obviously his time when he was with us at Chesterfield. We also had a chat about that season in general, uh, trips to the old firm with some of his teammates and obviously then coming back to Chesterfield with Bournemouth for the last ever game at Saltergate where he played for Bournemouth. Um, so that was obviously a really special memory for him as well. Uh, as always, I am at Spire Legends on Twitter and Instagram and Legends of the Spire on Facebook. If you do live on the same street as any former players, know anyone, have connections with anyone, please do get in touch as it would be great to hear from them and have them on the podcast. Uh, getting one step closer to 100 every time I get one done. Um, so I'd love to get that done either this year or next. We'll see what happens. But for now, enjoy this week's podcast. It's a good catch up with the super Steve Fletcher. So enjoy. It's interesting because I've spoken to loads of footballers, what, 72 now, something like that, quite a lot. And uh, a lot of them always talk about how fans will come up to them and say, oh, I remember that match against such and such where you scored that such and such goal. And I've yeah. spoken to so many footballers to go, I, I nod, but I'm really thinking, don't remember that. Great. So you had one season at Chesterfield, which was obviously it's interesting because uh I spoke to Jamie Hewitt actually, first podcast I ever did with Jamie Hewitt, and he had one season at Doncaster, like in the middle of his hundreds and hundreds of games for Chesterfield. Uh, and 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 you obviously you'd already played what five hundred odd games for Bournemouth or something, and obviously Hartlepool where yeah. you started before you came to us, but didn't you? Yeah, I had uh, about 40 games for Hartlepool, a lot of them off the bench because I was, I was 18, 19 in my two seasons. Uh, then I signed for Bournemouth in 1992. Tony Pulis was the manager. Uh, I was his first signing in football, so it's quite a <laughs> nice little thing to say to people. When yeah. Tony, Tony took over from Harry Redknapp. Harry Redknapp went to West Ham to be assistant manager with Billy Bonds and Tony Pulis took over. Mm-hmm. And I was his first signing in, uh, in July 1992 and yeah, I went on to make just over 500 appearances in in all competitions for Bournemouth before I, well, it was 15 years and before I left um, yeah. or before I was released by <laughs> Mr. Kevin Bourne. But looking back, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to me. But, <laughs> yeah, then I had one season at Chesterfield. I had an extension um, of a year, which was my option. Um, but because of family reasons, I had to, um, I think I did an interview with a, the local journalist for the football club at the time yeah. at the end of the season award do, uh, in 2008 and uh, I explained our situation there. You can still, I think you can still get it on, on YouTube and um, yeah, I explained why I had to go back. I was very disappointed. I just always said if you could have lifted the football club up just a bit, yeah, 150 miles closer. Because <laughs> it, it was about 225 miles and I was travelling twice a week and although Lee Richardson, the manager, gave me a lot of time off, 
Um, I still have to travel twice a week there and back. And sometimes I was leaving at four in the morning to get up there on yeah. a Thursday ready for training. And, you know, I couldn't fully commit and I wanted to be around my family and I just didn't want to not give my best, especially when I was 35, 36. You know, I had to conserve as much energy as I could. And yeah, yeah. I was finding it a little bit difficult towards the end. Although I love the club. I had an unbelievable rapport with the players and, and all the supporters. And, and um, I was devastated and I really... They took me to heart and I took them to heart and um, had some amazing, amazing memories there in just the one season. I just wish it could have been longer and, like mm. I say, picked the club up, moved it, go a hundred miles further south and I would never have left. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because like I've had jobs that have been an hour's commute and I'm like, seems like a bit of a long commute, but footballers in, in general, you can get picked up and shifted anywhere, can't you? And it's... Uh, it can be difficult, can't you, if you've got if you get uprooted. Well, it is wicked. Remember, I was thirty-five coming up just before I signed, and then towards the end, I was nearly thirty-six. And you know, my family's all settled. My daughters were quite grown up. You know, they were, were like 10, 10 and twelve, or twelve and nine. That's three years between them. I can't remember. But my wife didn't want to move. If it had been ten years previous, and I'd have been twenty-five, then. I'd obviously signed more than one year with a year extension. I'd have signed a three or four year. But the time of my life and the time of my career, obviously, I was never going to get that length of contract, uh, which I understood because of the previous few few years before that, I was only having 12-month contracts at Bournemouth anyway because of my injury situation. Yeah. Um, so I understood why Lee Richardson only gave me a year. Um, and I ended up going to Crawley because, once again, Steve Evans, the manager there, he only wanted me in training a couple of days a week and mm-hmm. we, where Crawley was, I could get there in about an hour and a half. Um, yeah. But even then, after six months, um, when Eddie Howe came calling and he got the job back at Bournemouth, um, you know, it was the first thing on my mind. I've, I've got to try and get back to Bournemouth and that was a difficult thing because I, I had a great rapport with the people at Crawley Town, Steve Evans, the supporters. It was only six months, but... I'm thinking I'm the type of lad who chats to a lot of people and makes friends quite easy, just the way I am, the way I've been brought up. And when you do that, supporters enjoy it and, and they, have a, they have a good feel for you. And like I say, I had a great time. Mm. How, how, did the, how did signing for Chesterfield all come about then? Was it, was it well, Lee Richardson giving you a call? Or? Anyway, basically phoned me within, he was the first one to phone a day after I was released by Kevin Bond. So that was 2007. Um, Obviously, I was like, well, Lee, I would like to probably stay more local, although there's not a lot of options down here, Southampton, Yeovil. I was never going to go to Southampton in the Premier League, but Yeovil wasn't sure I wanted to maybe go there. Not because I don't like Yeovil, it's just I was trying to maybe look for a more, bigger, more established club. But I did realise at my age, I was 34, nearly 35, because um, my birthday is in July. So I knew I would be limited, um, although I was inundated. With, with options and Lee was the first one to call me and my wife said to me why don't you just go up and see what he has to offer and I was like well it's a long way it's 230 miles um, she said well just go out of courtesy I went up spoke to Lee signed the same day <laughs> was that. job done I was, yeah I was I was really impressed I got a good feel for the place and you know it was just like when I went to Bournemouth in 92 signed the very next day I just got a feel for the place I met some lovely people in the first couple of hours, I went to Chesterfield and I just thought, you know what, it's a lovely, warm, friendly family club. And um, I thought, well, I spoke to my wife. I went out to chat to her. 
within 10 minutes, I've made my decision on the phone and for my parents who live in Hartlepool and just said, can you come and get me? Yeah. Uh, can you keep me overnight in Hartlepool? Because I'm going to go back to Chesterfield tomorrow. I've just signed for, for the football club and I was I was overjoyed. And and I was looking back at the squad. It was quite a good. It was a good squad back then. I, I suppose it was. It was one of those things. There was the disappointment that it just didn't quite have. I don't know that something. I don't know what it was that just couldn't get us that a few places higher. But the the core of the squad and everything was all all brilliant, wasn't it? And there were some great partnerships around that team. Well, I partnered obviously Jack Lester to start with because Jamie Ward had an injury at the start of the season, and then Jamie came in and obviously. I don't think I start. I think I played in forty games that season. Yeah, forty, something like that. And we had Peter Levin, we had Jamie Winter. Um, we had some good players. Um, I think Jamie Ward went on to play, you know, almost top level. He played in the champ for a lot of years. Peter Levin was a very good technical player. Um, we should have. I think we failed. I think with the team we had. Our disposal, we should have been in the playoffs and we missed out, didn't we, by a couple of points that season? Just went to, yeah. The problem was, and I'm going to say it now and I never will, we, we conceded too many goals. And that's everybody's included now. I'm not just blaming Rochi and goal or the defenders, but we'd conceded two every game almost. I felt like we had to score three to win a game. And sometimes you've got to grind one nil wins out. If you want to, mm. well, we've got it now with surviving in the Premier League or you want to get promoted, you have to grind the odd, or quite a few one nilers, two ones. And we didn't grind enough out. And I always felt we had to score at least three every game to try and win. And I'm, listen, I'm not digging anybody out because listen, I didn't score enough goals. I never did through my career. My career, and I'm the first to hold my hands up and, and say I was, I was, yeah, I was very good in the air. I was very limited in other departments. But I just think if we'd had one and more, two, don't know what say this. <laughs> Stronger defenders, better defenders, with a bit more defensive mentality, not to get beat, not to concede. I think we would have easily been in the playoffs because Jack was scoring bundles of goals. Jamie Ward yeah. was scoring a lot of goals. They were coming from left, right, and centre, and I chipped in with a few. And you know, midfield were chipping in, and I just felt the goals we scored that season and the amount of goals. I just thought we conceded too many, and that was our, our, our downfall. That was the way I see it. I mean, obviously, I can speak about it now because it was what was it twenty? Sixteen years ago, wow! <laughs> yeah, I, and, and you know, it's one of the things I look back on, and I'm, I was, I look back on my career. Obviously, now, I, ten years being retired, and it's a disappointment because I, I always speak to people. I still speak to Jack Lester, and I still speak to Jamie Ward, Peter Lee, and Jamie Winter. Mm-hmm. They're all my friends still, and I always say we failed. We should have, we should have, with that team and squad, we should have at least got in the playoffs. I think, yeah, I think it's been. A, I've had loads of players from that uh, from that squad now, and I think it probably is a common a common theme on that. They just go, oh, just you know, it's just that that little bit. Sometimes we've had it this season at Chesterfield. There's been periods where we've had we had a, a bad run of form at the start of the year, and we just you know wins went to draws, draws went to losses. You know, suddenly, like you say, it's hard to score three a match, isn't it? If you then have a games where you're scoring one, suddenly. It, it's you're relying on your defense, aren't you? To like you say, grind out the clean sheets, aren't you? To nab the listen, every team needs it, and you, we were probably just about two players short of the squad mm. that should have been challenging to get promoted back into the into League One. We 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 fell short, and I just felt we should have maybe tried to bolster the defense a little bit with a bit more, well, not only quality but quantity as well. Because when we picked up a few injuries, you know, it, it paid its toll and. Um, yeah, I just look back now, like you say, and disappointment is with that squad. And 
how good they were. We should have we should have achieved more. How was that? How did that partnership with Jack Lester form then? How how quickly does something like that just happen? Jack just knew I was going to win most of my headers, even at the age of 35. I still knew how to head the ball. I was very good at it, made a career out of it. And he was just very good at picking up positions where I knew he was in. And I'd just flick it into them areas and he would do the rest. And he just had a knack of being in the right place. And yeah, we struck up a good partnership. We both worked for each other. We both were very uh, unselfish. Um, we, obviously I do a lot of def- defending I do my defensive duties Jack understood that so I would go back for every corner free kick I did all my career mm. for the 24 years I always spent as much time in my own 18 yard box as I did the opposition um, and I think it just happens sometimes it, well, Yeah, we, you work on things in training but I think when you just have that connection Jack just knew I was going to win flick-ons and I always said right if I can win the header just let me know where you're at and I'll head it in that in that, in that vicinity and mm. um, I held the ball up quite well for him and linked and obviously then it brings other people into play and Jack was just a great finisher at that level he was probably one of the best strikers in the division along with Jamie Ward yeah. and it's it's such a pivotal important role isn't it yours being like the the target man I suppose yeah. uh, it's like we've got it at the moment all season we've been playing with kind of one up front but it's been a uh, someone with presence up front and even now we've got um, Andy Dallas and Paul McCallum and it's a bit like a a, a Lester Fletcher partnership in that Paul yeah. McCallum's doing a lot of the um, uh, a lot of setting up for Andy Dallas and he's getting the goals um, it's uh, it's like a it is a pivotal role even you know 15 years on or whatever it is you know it's um, it's important isn't it to have that presence up front that can hold a ball yeah, and listen, we've got a big lad in our team called Kiefer Moore. He's six foot five, hundred kilograms, and you know, I work with him and train him. And he's strong as an ox, but there's, a, there's an art to it. It took me a lot of years to get it right, and um, obviously, you find it more in the lower leagues and say in the Premier League. But they still have them. They still have good target men in the Premier League. They're just obviously they're still quick and they're still good with their feet, and yeah. they've got every other attribute that we probably didn't have, and players don't have in in, in League One, League Two, and. In the, in the conference, it's like they, they're really important if a team wants to build from it. So we weren't direct at all. We were never direct at Bournemouth. We weren't direct at Chesterfield. But when the ball came in, I had to make it stick because that was my job. I was never going to turn and beat two or three defenders, put crosses in, spank balls from 25 yards. You know, I was always going to be that pivotal player that the ball would come to and we could play off. And it was my job to hold it up. Set midfield, set Jack, hold it up, get the ball wide, get on the end of things, head things back across the goal, and that was—I made a career of it. Like I said, I, I mean, I played over eight hundred games, and it wasn't my goals that kept my career going for twenty-four years. It was obviously my hard work, my desire to hold the ball up, win duels, bring other players into play. Um, I made some good careers for other players. Just <laughs> stayed on one level for myself, but um, yeah, listen, it's very nice, and people come up to me now and always say to me, you know, how important I was for the team, whether it be supporters or ex-players, I'll just say, Fletch, you know, you you were great for us and what you did. And it's really nice to know. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't matter what level you're at, the big striker will always have a part to play. Um, just as the higher up you go, they obviously have a lot more attributes just to the game. So, mm. um, where I was obviously lacking in pace, lacking in, not technical ability, because I was good with my feet. I just wasn't at the level of, Going up to the Premier League, when I see some of these boys now, it's mm. 
it's on a different, you know, a different planet. But um, yeah, that was my, that was my job, and I, I would like to think I did it quite well. Yeah, and and I've seen loads of uh, uh, loads of players kind of playing that role over the years, and obviously you notice, I think, when you've watched a lot of football, who's really good at it and who's not as good as it. Some may be more, and some may be learning the game. Some might not be naturally their role or things like that. So when you're learning kind of that role on the pitch, what are the important bits that you kind of hone over the years? It's the things, because like you have to have a really good awareness around you, don't you? Because you don't want to be aimlessly flicking it on into, into nowhere. There's a... I, I realise that my importance to the team and I don't always have to be having the best game to be an influence on the pitch. Um, that comes with experience. I got the captaincy for a few years. That helped. Um, my job, yeah, it's an art. But I knew if I wasn't good in the air, I wasn't holding the ball, I wouldn't have a career. So I had a burning desire inside of me, never say die attitude, that I'm not going to get beat and I don't want the defender to get the better of me. And yeah, of course, defenders mm-hmm. sometimes got the better of me, but... I went out with a mental focus of I'm gonna I'm gonna beat you today, I'm gonna beat that defender, and that was my job today, the two centre halves, I'm gonna dominate. Now whether I did or didn't, I went out with the mentality of, of I have to do that because if I don't if I'm not doing that, then I'm gonna get dragged and I probably won't play the next game and then I've got to fight my way back in and you're starting all over again. Um it it, it is a mindset, it's you've got to believe in your ability. I mean, listen, I took a lot of stick over the years, I was quite marmite right until the end of my career. Some people loved me, some people didn't, and probably because of the type of player I was. I know my own players loved me because they knew the work I was doing for the team, but like all fans do, they like flair players, they like players to score loads of goals. And Although I scored, I think it was like 136 goals, which was great, but I still should have scored more for you know the amount of games I played and the career I had. But yeah, I don't know. It's... Um, I think it just comes from within, you know, I look at young lads now and they go, you know, out of existence after two or three years. I'm like, well, where's that player now? Why is he? I thought mm-hmm. he was a good player and I thought he had something. You've, you've got to do it season in, season out, pre-season. When the chips are down, coming back from injuries, you've got that burning desire in your heart to want to do it, to need to do it. For me, I, there was no way... I was ever going to not be a professional footballer after I got my first contract. There's no way I was going to be one of those players that after two or three years just went into obscurity and was not given another contract. I worked my ass off, whatever it took, going in the gym, being stronger, putting my head in where I'm going to get hurt. I had to be a professional footballer. I wanted it so much. I was never going to relinquish it. And I suppose that's one of the major reasons that I played for as long as I did because I just had this desire to play and you know, I remember when I went in the room with Eddie Howe and I was nearly 41. We just got promoted to the championship for the second time in the club's history, 2013. And I still wanted another year. <laughs> he went, Fletch. And he's one of my best mates. He went, Fletch, I can't. I've got to go down a different avenue. I know how much you love the game and I don't want to not involve you in the squad because I know how, how much you love it and I don't want to upset you and break your heart. He said, I'm not telling you to retire, but I can't offer you that opportunity if it's not there and I know how much you'll be disappointed because I love the game I mean I thought it was Peter Pan I thought I could play forever when you play for that long and you end up nearly 41 years of age you just think mm. you've got to go on and on and on you can never see yourself not playing Yeah. and it was the right decision 100% it was the right decision um, 
Don't get me wrong. If I was on like nine hundred and ninety-eight games, I'd have made sure I got that. <laughs> I bet. I wasn't. I was on. I was on like eight hundred and thirty some of games. But Eddie did say to me, he said, "Fletcher, you want to go and play somewhere else? One hundred percent, go and do it if you've got that burning desire to still play." And I had a couple of days to myself and my family. And I think, obviously, in my heart and head, I wanted to keep playing, but I knew my body couldn't keep doing it. And not only that, the training every day, I was having days off left, right and centre. And we were in the championship. And yeah, if it had come even five or six years previous, I probably could have held my own for a couple of seasons. But at the uh, the age of nearly 41, which I would have turned 41 in the pre-season, it, it, it was a, just a bridge too far. And it was a totally right decision. Ed offered me to be in the recruitment department. We didn't really have a big scouting department. He said, I want to build the, the recruitment. And I ended up being head of recruitment for a season. And before I went over to the coaching side after a couple of years, so um, I was still part of the football club and then I become ambassador of the club as soon as I retired, um, which was great because it kept me involved. And Eddie would get me out on the training pitch anyway, you know, once or twice a week because we only had a, a small management team of himself, Jason Tindall, who we still got, and another coach called Simon Weatherston. Everyone knows him as Tinners. Um, he's gone up with Eddie to Newcastle now. He's kept the, the core of his um, management team together for all these years. And um, he'd get me out maybe twice a week and involved in all the games. Because obviously, when you retire, you're still fit for a long time. Yeah, you know, I was yeah. by the side of my friends. So I would join in games, I would join in keep balls and things like that. And, you know, that burning. That burning love for the game kept me going during the week. It was just on a Saturday when I was out watching games as a, as in, in recruitment. That's the hardest part when you're watching other players play and mm. you've done it all your life and then you're not actually out there pulling the jersey on walking over the yeah. white line. And the, the thing I miss the most, and I still do, because I, I play five side down at my local uh, sports centre with some friends just to kick about. Mm. A little bit competitive, but it's not like a league because I've got to be careful, because obviously I'm coaching with the first team, so I can't be injured, um, is the physical contact. I miss the physicality. So when I join in now, and I, I join in the set pieces, I mean, I've got to be careful. I can't get... <laughs> you leave a bit on. <laughs> uh, give a bit of that. I can't. I've got to be careful, because when I retired, I was going into training, and I was smashing Matt Ritchie and Tommy Elby. <laughs> I had to be very careful, because it's just it was an instinct just to jump for the ball and get my arms up. And I've got to be very careful now, but I still love the physical contact. So when... One of the players smashes me in training. They always apologise, and I'm like, "No, nah, don't apologise. I love it. Yeah, I, I love that side of it. And that's probably the bit I miss the most—the physical contact. Because that, for me, that was part and parcel of the game, and it's the side of it I loved. How did you manage injuries and and your body and stuff like that? Because you played for a long time, and I've spoken to so many players that have been unfortunate and had to retire early, or or things like that. Well, yeah, 24 years, all in all. I mean, I played. Started in 89 and finished in 2013. So, crazily, I spanned over four decades, which is mental when you think about it because I played mm -hmm. in the 80s, no, 90s, noughties, and in the 10s. So, seeing everything, you know, from, from one from one era to the next era to the next era. And yeah, injuries were terrible with my knees. My left knee, I've had 11 operations on my left knee. I just had to manage it with painkillers and. Um, rest, doing the right things, making sure my body was nice and strong, going in the gym, adapting my game as, as I got older and couldn't do certain things. But one season I had a, a microfracture on, under my left knee. It was at the bottom of my femur. It was what they call a chondral defect. And um, 
yeah, I was out for 14 months in a row with that. It was um, that was a tough period for me because I was told twice I wouldn't play again, and I was 30 years of age. It was 2002, and um, once again, I was like, nah, I'm not accepting it. Um, like I said, two two specialists told me not to play anymore, but my heart was like, no, I'm going to be a professional footballer. I'm not going to give up, and I ended up playing for another almost another 11 years. <laughs> so yeah, we just had to manage it. So obviously, if I played on a Saturday. Couldn't train for two days. I trained Tuesday, Wednesdays were usually off, and then I trained Thursday, Friday, and just managed myself ready for the game. So basically, mm-hmm. when I trained, I trained hard, but I didn't train all the time. And then as long as I was ready on a Saturday, I was a game player. I could do that. I didn't have to be the best in training. I didn't have to play. Um, I'm sorry, I didn't have to train all the time to get myself ready. I could switch myself on and off for games. I mean, the higher up you go, you can't do that because mm-hmm. the, the levels are just incredible. The outputs, the energy the sprint distance it's 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 all monitored these days isn't it with GPS and it's just crazy and obviously I could probably train once in once in a week and put me out on a Saturday and I'll be exactly the same as if I trained all week so um, there's levels but yeah I had to manage myself a lot I think overall I had 16 operations in my career and I did work out with one of our statisticians that who did the program that if I'd have actually just had an average amount of injuries with the amount of years I played, I should have easily surpassed a thousand games, but not quite. But um, yeah. I was still obviously happy with 24 years. You, you'd have told me that at 16 years of age when I got into the youth team at Hartlepool that you're going to play for 24 years and you're going to play 836 games. <laughs> it doesn't matter what level that is, mm-hmm. uh, as much as we all want to play a top level Premier League, I'd have still snapped it off because that was my boyhood dream just to be a professional footballer. And, yeah, achieved definitely. a lot of things. A lot of things I always wanted to. I played at Wembley in the final, in the auto windscreen final, in front of seventy thousand. I played in a playoff final at the Millennium Stadium in two thousand and three and scored a goal there. We won five two. So I've done a lot of things in my career that I always dreamt of as a, as a boy growing up. Yeah, and another thing you'll have dreamt of is playing at the last ever game at Saltergate. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Which must have been amazing for you to be to have played. For Chesterfield for that season, but then back at Bournemouth, and then you get to play in that match. I had I spoke to Graham Scott, who was the referee on the day, and even oh, yeah. he was saying that it was lovely to be part of that game, and that when he got it, he was like, "Yes, I've got that game." Um, so it must have been must have been cool to be part of that. I would have showed you somebody give me a scarf, and it, you remember they did half and half scarves. Mm, yeah, it yeah. was Chesterfield Bournemouth last ever game at Saltergate, but I've got it up in my bar. I got a little bar area oh, on nice. the side, but I, I pinned it up on the um, on the wall, so I don't think I can get it down. Um, otherwise, I've shown it because I've I kept, it before, I kept yeah. momentum from the game, and obviously that's when was that? We we were promoted that year, so it was two thousand and ten, was it? Yeah, yeah, because it was like party atmosphere, wasn't it? Because yeah. you'd already gone up. I think we had a very, very, very we outside chance of playoffs. Yeah, we were promoted. Uh, you had a chance in the playoffs. We went one nil up. Um, Drew told that own goal. It's funny, like, because we were attacking the main, the main goal, the main behind the goal, the main goal, uh, mm-hmm. where all the Chesterfield fans were. And I was having a good game. I was actually putting some crosses here and I was doing things I don't usually do. And I remember one Chesterfield fan shouted out from, from behind the goal, Fletch, calm down, what are you doing? Give us a chance. It was like, because <laughs> they had to win to get in the playoffs. And um, we went 1 0 up and then they equalised. And then I was substituted with about 10 minutes to go. Um, and then 
was it Peter Niven scored in the 92nd minute? Yeah, Niven, yeah. Had the box, drilled it in the bottom corner. He has won 2-1. There was a big pitch invasion and it was an incredible day. And I'll tell you another reason. I've only ever spoken about it a couple of times. Obviously, there was the the main stand, the wooden stand, and hmm. the away fans were up in that top corner. And um, I promised one of our supporters that she could have my shirt after the game. And my, my parents had come to the game. They'd come down from Hartlepool and after the game, obviously, I was in the dugout because I would, I'd been substituted on about the 80th minute. So I took my shirt off and I went up to give the girl my shirt while all the players went into the changing room. Obviously, there was the pitch invasion and my parents were there and I gave them a big kiss and cuddle. And on my way back down, all the Chesterfield fans gathered on the pitch around the tunnel area as they do in mm. a big occasion. Obviously, the last ever game at Saltergate. And they saw me come down the stairs and they all started singing my name. So they could have sang anything about the football club, anybody, any player, and they started singing my name. And it was a honestly one of those moments where you just get goosebumps all over your neck and it was just undescribable. And I turned around and my mum and dad were in tears and one of the first times I've ever seen my dad cry because he's a, a big old school, <laughs> never cries, never goes to the doctor's type man from Harlem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you can still see the clip on YouTube. Believe it or not, it's about a 15-second clip of all the fans singing my name as I stood there looking out over the pitch. It was an absolutely incredible moment. It's only a tiny thing that happened in my career, but it just, it's so poignant because, mm. you know, I, it just proves how much I meant to the supporters of Chesterfield and how much they meant to me because, like I said, they, they saw me in the stand coming down. They all started singing my name, three, 4,000 of them on the pitch, and it was just a great moment. And, yeah, it was nice to be part of that last ever game at Saltergate because, like every club, you don't have to be in the top flight to create so many memories for a hundred years or whatever. How long they ever played at Saltergate? It was um, yeah. it was great to be just part of it, and that's that's a memory that will stick with me forever. And I, I think it's testament as well to the fact of probably how you played your whole career, because this this you know not many players can come into a club and and be be loved that much by fans, you know, uh, over a season. It, it's what you do kind of on the pitch and the way you handle yourself the way you interact with the fans That's you know right. it's a it's a whole it's a whole bunch of stuff isn't it that adds together in in you then building a connection between a fan and a player and that's kind of the most important thing in any club isn't it is that connection between fans and players i suppose well i remember some of the supporters because obviously where we had to park, we had to park in the school um we had to walk to the stadium maybe a couple of hundred yards and all the supporters were there every game and obviously I would interact with them, stand talking to them for 10, 15 minutes before I went into the stadium and into the changing room. And remember them saying to me, Fletch, you spoke to us more in one season than we spoke to some of the players in five or six. So, but that just comes from within. That's the way I am. That's the way I was at Bournemouth. That's the way I was brought up with my parents. Um, because without the fans, there's no football club. It doesn't matter whether yeah, you're Liverpool, yeah. Barcelona, Real Madrid or Chesterfield or Bournemouth. It doesn't matter. Without the fans... There's nothing. So I've always been that type of person to talk to people, to interact, to listen to them. Usually always nice, but you have to listen to the bad things as well. And even after the games, I would go out into the car park area and speak to all the supporters. Um, mm. I had a great connection with them. And, and you mentioned the connection. Because, yeah, I didn't go, score, go and score as many goals as Jack Lester. But I think on the pitch, they realise I give my all. I give everything for the club. I was limited in a lot of departments, but I give everything. And then I... Spent a lot of time interacting with supporters, not just on the pitch, having a bit of camaraderie, but off the pitch as well. And I think 
that makes a player as well. And I think supporters love that. Yeah. I think you don't get enough of that these days. And we've seen a lot on social media lately of without naming many clubs, but there's a lot yeah. of clubs where they just walk past their own supporters um without acknowledging them, but I can never do that. It's not in me and mm. never will be. And then it's out of play and it's gonna be Bournemouth, I think, that uh, make their change first of all. The number is difficult to see in the sunlight. It's number 33, Steve Fletcher leaving the field. And he gets applause from all the supporters in the ground. He's a Bournemouth player, but he's, he's played over 500 appearances for Bournemouth, but he's also an ex-Chesterfield player and much appreciated by everybody, I think. So Steve Fletcher receives the applause of everybody, really, in the ground as he leaves the field to be replaced by number 10, Alan Connell. And and you should have probably got a good chunk of Jack Lester's <laughs> goal bonus that season, I think. <laughs> You'd have been... just, as well I was, just as well I wasn't on the goal bonus myself, was it? I wasn't relying, I wasn't relying on that. So so last kind of thing from me then. I've I've had like quite like I say, quite a few people on from that squad. Jamie Winter's been on, Peter Levin's been on, Jamie Lowry's been on. And I, I heard about your trip to the old firm derby. Yes, it was a midweek. Uh, you I got actually... let out of training early, didn't you? Yeah, I got told off by Lee Richardson because we didn't ask permission. Um, <laughs> I think only Peter Levin had asked permission, but I went up. Um, Phil Picking went up. Oh, yeah, it's Picks, went Jimmy it? Jimmy yeah. Winter, the four of us went up. I think actually Jamie Lowry went up as well. It was five of us. Yeah, I think there might have been five. Um, we drove up on a Tuesday straight after training. I think it was a Tuesday or Wednesday. And um, yeah, I was in the Rangers end at Celtic Park. The first time I'd been to an old firm derby, Peter Levin. Being an ex-Rangers player, he got us the tickets. I mean, it was an unbelievable experience. Celtic won the game as well in the 94th minute. And uh, obviously, Peter Levin and Jamie Winter being real big Rangers fans, they looked at me and went, don't video it. Because I was videoing all the atmosphere and they went, do not take your phone out of your pocket. I was like, oh dear, <laughs> this is not great. Uh, unbelievable experience. First and only time I've ever been. But yeah, we got back late on the night. Lee Richardson found out the next day he got me in the office and he went, Fletch, what example are you setting to everybody else? He said, I would have let you go, but you didn't ask me. And, you know, we got training the next day. He was right. I, I should have asked him. It was a bit naive of me to do that. You know, I mean, you're always learning. I was like 35 years of age and I was still learning that, <laughs> you know, what to do and not what to do, but I still wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he's over it now. Is, uh, do, do you ever see him now, now that you're yeah, on I've the... Seen him about, I've seen him at um, the LMA Awards a few times. Um, never really kept in contact over the phone, but just seen him around different grounds. And I, I loved him a bit, he was brilliant with me. Um, like I say, we when I did sign, he, I did say to him, look, if I am going to not move, we'll be here with my family and I'm going to commute. I can't come up every day and stay here all week. So we come to an agreement that if we had games Saturday to Saturday, I didn't have to come back till Wednesday. So that was good. I got like three days with my family. Obviously, if there was a midweek game, I had to stay up because we trained um, Monday. Um, but then I could go back after the game on a Tuesday and come back up ready for Friday, getting prepared for the game on the Saturday. So mm. there was it was a nice it was nice of him to do that. And probably the main reason that I actually sign because if he wanted me up there permanently all the time that wouldn't have fitted into what I really wanted it was the fact that he was going to give me some time with my family and I actually just trained with Bournemouth yeah. the one or two days um, 
that I wasn't there and I was going to the gym, so I kept myself ticking over and fit. Um, but no, it, it was good and it worked well mm. for a year. Yeah. And, and last thing, obviously, since that last game at Saltergate, Bournemouth and Chesterfield have kind of gone in different directions. There's a, a lot of leagues separating us now, which just seems a bit odd. Kind of at the time, I probably wouldn't have thought that looking forwards, but I suppose no. you keep keep an eye out for results and stuff of, of previous clubs. It'll be I suppose, important for us to try and get back into the league this year, but amazing as well what Bournemouth have, have done yeah, over, over it, that time. It, it is incredible. And I don't think it'll ever happen again, really. You never know. It might it might that it it takes a lot of things to fall into place. You've got to have the right manager. You've got the club with an owner who's willing to you know, back back the manager's dreams. Like I said, the club had a, has a philosophy. It's not just Eddie Howe has the philosophy. Of course, he set everything and created the whole the whole picture for where he wanted to go and how he wanted how he seen the club. I mean, it was Eddie Howe's club, really. With, with the backing of our owner, our Russian owner, Max Denham. Um, it was Eddie's vision. We got promoted from League One. Um, we started to buy some half-decent players for that level. But they were the same players who had two years in the Championship who got promoted, who won the Championship and got promoted to the Premier League and ended up, majority of them playing. Yes, we added one or two, but the four, whole back four was the same back four when Eddie Howe was there in 2013. In, in, towards the bottom end of League One after he came back from Burnley and um, it just proves if you've got a good manager who's a good coach and you've got you're prepared to work with what's around you how, how much you can push those players on um, if we I know it's going to sound crazy because you probably think no no chance but if we can do it why can't Chesterfield do it mm. we, we were no bigger of a club than Chesterfield our average gates were very similar as, as in crowd capacity um, listen, by we, we're no means an established Premier League club. Obviously, we're working every every day to to maintain that, but it, it's difficult, as you can understand, at, at this level. Um, but we're still a small club. We've got a new owner now, American owner, um, Bill Foley, who's took over from Max Denham, and he's back in the club. He's going to build a new stadium, we think, and new training facilities. Incredible. Um, he's going to take the club to another level. Um, but we'll always still be a small, <laughs> the smallest club or one of the smallest clubs in the Premier League. But I've always said if we can do it, because you'd have never said when we were playing Chesterfield on the last game at Saltergate in five years, Bournemouth are actually going to be in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. You'd just laughed at us. Every single person in the UK would have laughed at us. And there we were, five years later, we're in the Premier League. So if we can do it, it, it surely gives hope to any other club. Of course, a lot of things have to fall in place and a lot of hard work. Not only the owner, but the manager has to have a vision and he's got to have the drive and he's got to have the people around him and the players who buy into it. A lot of things has to has to work for that to happen. And it happened to us really quickly, very quickly indeed, if you think about it. I mean, from that promotion when we played you at the last game, um, one, two, four years later, we were winning the championship. It's, it's just something that is it's fantasy, isn't it, really? I mean, we had a lot of people come over from different countries and do documentaries because they couldn't believe the small little club on the South Coast who were in League Two five years, five years previous and now on a level playing field week in, week out with Man United, Man City, Liverpool, mm. Tottenham, Chelsea, Arsenal. It's just an incredible story. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And and so, so last thing, if Paul McCallum gets injured over the next couple of days, we can emergency sign you for the next... <laughs> 
for the playoff campaign, I assume? It looks like you keep yourself in good shape. I do keep myself in shape. I've, I've looked after myself. I'm exactly the same weight, 96 kilograms, as what I was when I was a player. Um, I've never let myself go. My joints hurt a lot more. I could come on for about two minutes and win a couple of headers, but at 50 years of age, that would make me one of the oldest players ever, probably just behind Stanley Matthews, to ever play in, the, in English football. But um, I think five aside with my own friends on a Thursday night is enough for me, an hour of that. But I've still got the guns. I've still got the guns. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, the fans, it was brilliant because any time I came back to Chesterfield, the fans always sang Fletcher, Fletcher, showed your guns. So even the season I was with the Spyrites, and then every time I played at Chesterfield or the key, even when the away supporters come down to, to Dean Court, they still sang the same song and I used to still stand there and go like that. <laughs> and it was brilliant. I loved it. And it was just a bit of a rapport with the fans and a bit of tongue in cheek. But yeah, I, I still, even on social media, I still every now and then I'll get a Chesterfield supporter will just tweet me and just put Fletcher, Fletcher, shows your guns. And <laughs> yeah, I loved it. You know, that's what it's about. They're the memories that I created throughout my career and, the stories that I will tell until the day I die. Great. Well, thank thanks so much for giving me uh, a little bit of your time. It's been it's been Pleasure. lovely to have a chat. And uh, and yet, if you're ever up Chesterfield Way, obviously, uh, I'm I'm sure you'll always be welcomed by anyone I'll, that that sees you. I always look out for my, the clubs I played for. So Hartlepool, where I first started, Bournemouth, obviously, while I'm still there as a coach. Chesterfield, and I was on loan loan at Plymouth for six games and Crawley for six months. So they're the first results I look for week in, week mm. out. I always love, and I would love to come back up to Chesterfield and come to a game. And if I'm ever up in that area, I'm sure I'll be very welcome. And um, Like I say, I always keep an eye out. I always want them to do well. Um, let's hope they get back into the Football League sooner rather than later.